Everybody doing okay? <laughs> Thank you for this person over here that's good. Someone over here I think is also good over in this section, so... Uh, Thank you guys. Hey, glad you guys are here. Um, got a lot of ground to cover today. So as much as you guys like my, my funny anecdotes before I speak, um, I'm, I'm gonna pass today and uh, just get, man, you guys are so quiet today. It's cool, it's good. Um, I'm gonna jump right into the word. So we got a lot of ground to cover. If you have not been here, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament. Been working through it. We're in a very interesting portion of it right now. We're in chapter 18. We did the end of chapter 17, a little bit of the beginning of chapter 18, not much, about nine verses last week, and then we're going to finish up uh, chapter 18 today. Now, let me tell you where we're at. Now, if you've never read the book of Matthew, never heard anyone teach the book of Matthew, maybe you don't know much about Jesus at all. Uh, where we're at in the story is Jesus has been leading a group of about 12 guys. They've been traveling all over Israel, mostly kind of northern Israel, they're preaching, they're teaching. Jesus is telling large crowds about the kingdom of God. He's healing people, feeding people. And the whole time he's doing this, he's training this group of guys to kind of be the bedrock, the foundation of what we're doing right now, the church, okay? And so he's been going with these guys for several years at this point. And what has happened in the last couple of chapters is Jesus has made it very, very clear that he's going to purposefully, intentionally walk towards his own crucifixion, his own death. And the reason for that, you know, that, that Christians know now, is he is going to be murdered, he's going to be raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, and uh, he's going to ascend back into heaven, and then he's going to empower us by his Spirit to go out and be the salt and light of the world. And we're gonna talk about that a lot today, our responsibility to be the salt and light. Last week, we talked a little bit because of where we are right now in the book of Matthew is, Jesus is really training up his followers, right? And not just these people, us, still today. The book of Matthew, in my opinion, is one of the most important books of the Bible because it is a book on discipleship. It's a book on how to follow Jesus, right? Practically, spiritually, just in all ways, how to follow Jesus. In the um, first part of chapter 18 that we covered last week, Jesus says that we have the responsibility to not be a stumbling block which means even though we have certain freedoms because we're followers of Jesus, sometimes we have to lay those freedoms down in order to not cause others to be tempted in sin, right? We have a responsibility to be a good steward with our freedom. Jesus also says that we have the responsibility to stay away from personal sin, things that we may fall to. So Jesus uses this, it's kind of a graphic analogy that if your hand causes you to do something that's wrong, cut your hand off, right? If your eye causes you to look at something bad, gouge your eye out. And he doesn't mean that literally. He just means remove the situations that cause you to do things you shouldn't do, right? You're responsible for that. So we're gonna continue this conversation of kind of responsibility today. And because I'm gonna talk a lot about salt and light today, and this will make sense as we get to the end. If you call yourself a Christian in here, if you consider yourself a Christian, we have the responsibility to love and show grace and mercy to people, even if they don't believe, or if they once believed and they have strayed away from the Christian faith, we are to love them, to show them grace, to show them mercy. That's a responsibility that we have, okay? That's what we're gonna talk about today, all right? So you should have received a notes handout when you walked in, has everything I'm gonna say in there. Uh, everything should be on the screens if you didn't get one of those. Um, if you have the Experience Community app, 
click on service times, sermon notes, everything should be there. Guys, if you ever build PowerPoints, you wouldn't believe how hard it is to find a cool picture of sheep. Most of them are pretty cheesy. And um, if you did our fast this year, uh, Adri, who works here, she's our graphic design person. She, she drew up the image for our fast this year, and it's Jesus holding a sheep. And fun fact about that, that was actually, she used a picture of Phil that works here holding a sheep, because Phil has a bunch of sheep. That's a, that's a true story. And um, we have this picture of Phil like smiling, holding a sheep, and, and somehow we took Minnesota Phil and turned him into <laughs> Middle East Jesus, and it worked. That's a real good graphic design artist right there. I just want to let you guys know. So that's, that's what we did there. So there's, there's, my, there's my fun picture of sheep. Let me pray, because I notice when I talk and I don't teach, it, it goes downhill really, really fast. So let me, let me pray, okay? Father, Lord, I love you. God, I thank you for this church. Lord, I love this church. I love the men and women in this church. I love the people watching, God, that even if they're not from this state, God, but we, we consider them a part of our family, Lord. I love this church. I pray blessings over this church, God. People watching right now, the people sitting in this room, pray blessings over their family, their friends, God, their, their relationships. Pray for that, God. We pray not just for, for my close family, Lord. I pray for my extended family, every church in the city, God. Just like Kyle said, if they, if they proclaim that you're the king, Lord, we're with them. We're not against them. We pray for them to be blessed as well. Pray for the great nonprofits that we work with in our city. Pray, with, pray for the other churches around the country that we work with and outside of the country that we work with, God. We pray for the non-believers of our city, that we can be uh, honorable followers and, and ambassadors for you, and that hopefully by our good works, God, and how we love others, Lord, that people will give you glory, give you honor. Father, I pray that everything we talk about today, that it, that it, that it pleases you. And I pray that everything that we study in your word today, God, that it makes us better, that it sharpens us. Father, we love you. We thank you. Be with me as I do my best to teach your word. We pray all these things in your son's name, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a lot of red letters today. That means if you have a copy of the scripture, Virtually everything I'm going to read today is straight from the mouth of God, okay? So if you have any problems with it, it's straight from the mouth of God. It's not me, okay? All right, just preface it with that. Here we go. See to it that you don't despise one of these little ones, because I tell you that in heaven, their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go search for the stray. And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than the 99 that did not go astray. In the same way, this is so important today, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that any one of these little ones perish. So again, if you weren't here last week, Jesus is talking with his disciples. His disciples say, which one is gonna be the greatest in heaven? And Jesus calls a kid over and he says, here, stand here, kid. And he, he brings his disciples and he says, whoever has the childlike faith and humility of this kid, that's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus goes on to warn his disciples and everyone else who's listening. If you mislead a child, not just a physical child, but a spiritual child, so it can be a 50-year-old that's new to the faith. If we mislead them, it makes God angry, very, very angry. So we have this, again, this responsibility not to carelessly offend, not to mislead. And Jesus goes on here to say that we are to treat all people with a sense of value, even if they're different from us. 
even if they don't believe like us, if they are made in the image of God, which is all humans, we are to treat them with a certain level of value. Because one of the major themes of this book is that God loves all people, even the ones that stray real far away, even the fringe of society. God loves them. And Jesus is teaching us that not only God loves the one that's way out there, you should love the one that's way out there. Because guys, we've been the ones that were way out there, haven't we? Weren't we all lost once upon a time until the good shepherd pursued us and found us? So we are to love others the way God loves us. We're to share in that love of the lost. And it's fascinating. Look at these little nuggets that, that pop up in the Bible sometimes and you can miss them. Jesus tells his disciples that everyone, go back and read it. He says, their angels are constantly looking at the face of God. He was basically alluding to that, that there are angels designated for all people, right? And they're constantly reporting to God what is going on, the needs of different people. And then we are to be responsible because God is watching. God's not just watching us. He has his eyes on everything, what happens to us and, and how we handle our affairs with other people. His eyes never leave us. But that's not a bad thing. That shows us that God is personal. It shows us that God is working on our behalf all the time. God never sleeps, constantly working on our behalf. And so Jesus tells this little parable. And I love, that. I, I, I love how Jesus connects. And he tells this parable and he goes, what do you guys think? What do you think? And he tells this parable about a sheep that strays away. And it's not about sheep. I know you guys are smart enough to know that. It's not about sheep. It's about us. It's about a group of people. Right, let's say this group, right? A group of people. And someone in that group of, group of people strays from righteous living into sinful living. They go back to a sinful way of living. And so Jesus values all people, Right? And in order to clear up any misconceptions to his followers, he says, look, God loves that one that's not doing the right thing just as much as he loves you. He loves the backslider. He runs after the backslider. And you need to run after the backslider. You need to value them. You need to love them. So the story of the, the leaving of the 99 to pursue the one shows the grace of God. How personal God is as a savior. And now here's the thing. God's math doesn't work like human math. If we had 100 sheep, right? If you're Phil, you got 100 sheep and one strays away, you can't simultaneously be with the 99 and also run after the one. We can't be two places at one time. God can though. You know what's amazing? At the end of the service, when all of us bow our head, if we speak to Jesus, Jesus gives every single one of you simultaneously 100% of his attention. Now, mathematically, that doesn't work for us, but it works in God's math. That he can give all of us his undivided attention at the same time. That's how God pursues us. So he never leaves the 99. He's always with the 99. But he always actively pursues the one that strays away, the rebellious, the lost. So God lovingly pursues. But we also have a responsibility to accept. So God runs after us like he's ran after all of you. But there comes a time to where we have to make a choice. And unfortunately, some choose to not be a part of the family of God. And look, this is very important. That's not God's will. If you ever hear a Christian say God's will is always done, that's not true. The Bible does not say that. It says right here, God's will is that no one go to hell. It is God's will that none perish. It actually says that multiple times in the gospel. 
that it is not God's will that any perish, but some do because we're given a choice and God cannot fully love us if he doesn't give us the choice to decide. And because some people make the wrong choice, God's will is not always done in our life. Is it God's desire for all of us to go to heaven? Absolutely. But he knows that some of us will choose ourselves over him. So here's what we have to remember for that. This is so important. This may be the most important thing I tell you today. It's no matter how bad someone gets. Listen, no matter how bigoted they may be, no matter how sexist they may be, no matter how hateful they may be, no matter how murderous they may be, no matter how bad they get, it is God's desire that all come to a place of repentance. All of them. Well, Corey, you don't know how bad they are. We don't know how bad you are. Only God knows that. Haven't we all committed murder in our hearts? Haven't we all committed adultery in our hearts? According to Jesus, we have. If we've ever lusted or had hate, we have all committed sins that we don't want to be made aware for everyone to see. Only God knows. It is God's desire that all repent and turn to him and go to heaven, even the ones that have strayed away off the path. And we as the church are called to join in the pursuit of the lost. That's what we are called to do. We are responsible for that. Okay? Now, this next part is awesome because we don't do it ever. Here we go. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. If he won't listen to you, take two or three with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact is established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, then tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Now, what Jesus is talking about here is church discipline. And a lot of you have maybe never heard that term because a lot of churches don't do it, and that's wrong. So what Jesus is talking about here is Jesus is going to tell us how to deal with offenses, which means if you have sinned against me, you've done something to wrong me, and Jesus is going to tell us how to deal with sin. So let's say uh, you know that someone else in the church, right, that calls himself a Christian is, is having an affair or, or lying about something or, or looking at pornography or whatever the case may be. We know that there's some kind of sinful behavior, right? So when we talk about church discipline, we typically think that's only when a, a pastor has an affair or a secretary in the church embezzles money or, you know, an elder does something. We usually just think that's big things, but that's, that's not what church discipline is. Church discipline is accountability that all of us exercise, right? Love and accountability that all of us exercise. We're to hold each other accountable. We're to do it in a way that shows love. We're to do it in a way that shows respect. We're not to do it with gossiping and we're not to do it with slandering. Those are the weapons of choice of today's society. And let me tell you something. The word devil and the word Satan literally mean accuser and slanderer. So let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, if you are slandering and if you are gossiping and constantly accusing, there's no more like Satan you can, that you can be than by doing those things. There is no room 
in the life of a Christian for slander, gossip, or constant accusatory actions. They are not there. That literally means devil and Satan. And we need to stay away from that, okay? It's not in the life of a Christian. So what is the process? How do we deal with sin? Other people's sin, right? How do we deal when we're offended and someone wrongs us? What do we do? It is so simple. And this is the part that we don't do. What we typically do is if someone wrongs us or if we know someone's doing something wrong, right? We put it out on Facebook, tweet about it. We put an Instagram picture out there. We get four or five of our friends and we talk really bad about them and then we go attack, right? Like a pack of wolves. That's what we do. And Jesus says, that's not the way believers are supposed to do it. Jesus says, the first thing you do if someone offends you or if, someone is, if you know someone is sinning is you go talk to them one-on-one, privately. It doesn't mean you text them at 12 o'clock at night. Doesn't mean you send them a Facebook message. Doesn't mean you shoot them an email. Guys, let's talk like adults for a second. Real problems don't get handled over text. You guys know that, right? That's what, that's what middle schoolers do. It's not what adults do. Adults sit down, they look at someone in the eyes, and they talk. Because we can be real hot shots behind keyboards, can't we? But we're not so big when we actually have to look someone in the eye and tell them. When we have to talk to someone over the phone. But that's the way Jesus would have us do it. Is to treat people with respect, to sit down and say, you've offended me. I love you. Maybe you didn't mean to, but this is how I felt. Hey, brother, sister, I know that you've been doing this, and in the Word of God, it says we can't live like that. And it's when we see people, listen, if you have a private conversation with someone, you may find out that you had misinformation, and maybe nothing's wrong. And maybe you've saved a relationship. Maybe you haven't burnt a bridge. Go to them privately, not over text, not over email, not over Facebook, right? Talk to them like a human. And if that doesn't work, Get one or two other people to go with you and talk to them. If that doesn't work, then take it to the church. Take it to a small group leader or an elder, or maybe send me an email, and we'll connect you with someone to help step in there and kind of mediate that. Here's what happens is when we disregard, and this is so good, when we disregard the Jesus process, that's when relationships fall apart. But if we will do it the Jesus way, we will restore relationships. We will restore souls back to the kingdom but we have to do it the Jesus way. And when we don't, we hurt people and we hurt the body. Now, the motive for this is love. The motive for this is restoration. Instead of getting 35 people to talk about someone and then go approach them, if we go approach them one-on-one, that saves that person embarrassment and shame. The shame of everyone knowing what they've done wrong or the embarrassment of, of wronging you. You have saved them that shame. That's gracious. That's loving. If that doesn't work when we bring two or three other people with us, that shows us that not only do we care about them, look, these people care about you too. We're not trying to gang up on you. I brought these people because they love you too. If that doesn't work when we bring it in front of the church, that shows the severity of the matter. We've involved the pastor. We've involved the elders, right? And this kind of care will win people to the Lord. This kind of care will even win people who aren't Christians to Christ when we show them this kind of love and respect, right? Treat them with dignity. So what happens if you do it the Jesus way and they don't respond, right? Well, Jesus says if they don't respond, they're not a Christian. (laughs) 
This means that we, we, we cannot acknowledge someone. Listen, if someone refuses to do it the Jesus way, they're not a follower of Jesus. That's, that's pretty simple. So we're to treat them like they're not a believer. That doesn't mean we don't love them. We still love them. We still pray for them. We still show them respect. We don't gossip and slander about them. We still keep the door open if they want to come back, but they're not considered Christians anymore. Let me take it a step further because Paul takes it a step further. I, I quit going to church when I was about 11. My family, uh, my parents got divorced and, and we just kind of stopped going. So I wasn't really raised going to church. Um, but a lot of my, my friends that were raised in churches, they were told when they were kids by their parents, hey, stay away from the Buddhists or the, the Islamic kids. Stay away from the kids that come from atheist families. Stay away from everyone that's different from you. We don't, we don't want them tainting you. You know, it's interesting. Paul says the exact opposite. As Christians, we should be talking to people that have different faiths in order to, to hopefully show them Jesus Christ. We should be talking to people that don't believe in hopes that they will believe. We should have interactions. In fact, the ones that Paul says you need to stay away from are the ones that claim to be Christians but don't live like Christ. How many of those friends do you have? Paul even goes in 1 Corinthians 5 and says, don't eat dinner with those kinds of people because they're hypocrites. They're, they're, they're doing it the wrong way. And what we are supposed to do is in love. We go through the one, two, three step that Jesus says, and if they don't respond to that, Paul says you should turn your back on them in the hopes that that will get their attention, right? That's church discipline. Is that comfortable? No. Is it fun? Heck no. And you, you, you will lose relationships with this, but all this is done in hopes that those people will turn back to God. And so Jesus says what you bind and what you loose, that'll be done in heaven. It's the second time Jesus has said this. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This doesn't mean some kind of weird, like charismatic thing. Like I bind my finances in the name of Jesus. That's not what that's talking about. Jesus is saying when you live by heavenly principles on earth, it looses and it binds things on earth because those principles already exist in heaven. So when we do the things that this word tells us to do, we bind evil things because those things are bound in heaven. When we do these things that the, the book says, we loose things on earth because they've already been loosed in heaven. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, when it comes to church discipline, you have my permission to do this. This is a heavenly doctrine to hold each other accountable, to address sin, right? To address offense. That's a heavenly thing. Jesus is saying you need to protect heavenly doctrines, biblical theology. You need to address sin. And when we do that, it gives people the opportunity to come back into the family of God. There always has to be a road back. Doesn't matter how far the sheep strays, we have to give them a path back so they can be restored. So I hope this doesn't hurt anyone's feelings. Verse 19 and 20, churches have been taken way out of context for a long time. Uh, you've heard this probably a thousand times if you've been going to church for any length of time. Where any two or more gathered in my name, I'm right in the middle of them. And we get this idea that if I'm praying alone, I'm like, oh, I gotta get someone else to pray with me. It's better. And that, that's not actually what that's talking about right there. If it were better that, 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 that you pray with someone else than just alone, like if, if that major prayer is not as strong, Jesus prayed alone the majority of the time. In fact, in the garden, when he's talking to God, right, right before his crucifixion, he's, he's praying alone. Everyone else was asleep. That doesn't mean his prayers were, were less or weak. When it says that when two or more are gathered in my name, that's actually talking about church discipline right there, those heavenly principles. Jesus is saying whenever two or three or more are gathered, agreeing to hold people accountable and to address sin and offense, Jesus says, I'm in the middle of that because that's my process. 
That means for anything, whenever we agree on Jesus's process, Jesus is in the middle of that process. But if we don't agree on that process, Jesus is not in on it, right? We have to come to an agreement. We have to do it Jesus's way. The last part, sorry how long this part is, but I, I, didn't, I didn't write it. You can take it up with Matthew when you, when you get to heaven. <laughs> then Peter approached him and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Jesus says, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, and his children and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell down before the king and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of the servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servants fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went, threw him into prison until he could pay back what he owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and they went and reported to the master everything that had happened. When after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, you forgave all that debt, that debt because you begged me. I forgave all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. That parable says a lot, a lot. So if you haven't been with us, Peter, he, he's, a, he's a fun one. Peter is kind of the unofficial leader of the 12, but he becomes the official leader of, of the first generation of Christians, okay? He's probably the oldest in the group. So Peter speaks for, for all the disciples, and he says, okay, Jesus, you say forgive. How many times should we forgive people that have done us wrong? Like seven? And we're like, where does Peter get this number? So in Jewish culture, they had kind of a three strikes you're out thing in their culture, which is very similar to us, by the way. In Jewish culture, if someone sinned against you three times, that was it. You were done with them. So Peter was actually being gracious. He goes, well, should we do it more than double of what society says we should forgive people? And what Jesus was going to teach Peter is, he's going to say, Peter, no matter how generous you think humans are, God, the King of Kings, is so much more generous. And he's going to show him just how generous and gracious he is. So Jesus says, don't forgive. Peter, don't forgive him seven times. Forgive people seven times 70, right? 490 times. Now listen, no one is going to do the same sin to you 490 times. It's just not gonna happen unless you live to be like 218 or something like that, right? It's just not gonna happen. You don't have enough time in your life for someone to do the same thing to you this many times. So what Jesus was basically saying is, you forgive people as many times as they genuinely seek forgiveness from you. 
So if they do it right, and they genuinely are sorry for it and ask for your forgiveness, even though they've done it before, forgive them. You know, do this as many times as they genuinely ask. Now we gotta be careful with that. What I mean by that is, if you're a woman in this room and you're in an abusive relationship with a man, God does not intend for you to be beat by a man. Even if he says, I'm sorry, God does not want you to be in that situation getting treated like that and your kids being in a dangerous position. That's not where we're supposed to be. When Jesus says forgive, that doesn't mean that we have to put ourselves in a harmful spot. It means that we cannot let hatred creep into our hearts. Even if people don't ask for forgiveness, we have to find a place in our heart to let it go, to not hold those grudges. Now, should you leave that guy? Yeah, you should get away from that guy. But you cannot hold hatred for that guy because the Holy Spirit and hatred cannot dwell in the same space. So you gotta let that hatred go. Don't carry that around. So to balance out this forgiveness statement, earlier on in the Gospel of Matthew, it says this, that we're to be harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. That means that we don't retaliate. We don't go back and get revenge. We don't hold hatred in our heart, right? We're harmless as doves, but we also have to be wise. That means, ladies, you don't have to get hit by that guy. You don't have to stay in this abusive relationship. You don't have to endanger your kids. Be wise about that, right? God gave you a brain to make sure that you're not in harm's way, to do wise things. Yes, be gracious, but also be wise. And so Jesus tells a parable, right? Now, again, this, this is not a parable about a literal king and his servants. This is a, a parable about the king of kings, right? And we as his, his servants, who claim to be his servants. And so in this parable, God is the king, and this is so important, we are the servants that owe the king a debt that we can never pay back. No matter how much good we think we can do, we cannot pay it back. Do you guys know, if you're a believer in here, do you know that there's nothing you can do to earn salvation and freedom from God? There's, there's no amount of good that you can do. You can never pay him back for the debt that you owe. I hope you know that. I hope we also know this, everyone, whether you're a believer or not, whether you think I'm crazy, whether you're watching on YouTube and, and you're an atheist and you just think I'm some nut, whatever you are, I wanna tell all of you, all of us will also have to settle our accounts with the king one day, all of us. Now, that's a scary thing. Corey, are you trying to scare me? A little bit. If you're not on the right side of the king, you have an insurmountable debt to the king and one day you're gonna have to settle up for that. It's not gonna be good. But if we have given our life to the king, just as this parable says, if we have begged for God to forgive us, it says that he removes the loan, removes the debt. See, what's gonna happen? Brothers, sisters, everyone who's watching, all of us are gonna have to stand in front of the king of kings and Jesus is gonna look at us and say, justify your life. Justify how you've lived to me. And unless we've lived on the right side of Jesus, there is no justification for how we've lived. But, if we have given our life to the King of Kings, whose blood paid for our debt, he justifies us. He pays for that loan to be taken care of, and we can stand in front of the King, and we are justified. We are able to go into eternity because he forgives our insurmountable debt, but we have to ask for that. Now, that's important to remember, and I think most of you probably know that. Here's where we drop the ball, just like the parable says. If we are followers of Jesus, we have been forgiven this insurmountable debt. We have been shown this amazing grace, right? This wonderful grace, more than we have ever earned, ever will deserve. Do you guys know 
that we don't get what we deserve in eternity because all of us deserve hellfire. We have done nothing to earn an eternity with Jesus, but God gives us this amazing grace. And what this parable teaches us is Jesus is saying, because you have been shown amazing grace, you are to go out to the world around you and show that grace to other people. You're to forgive them for what they owe you. You are to forgive them for the sins committed against you. But do you know what we end up finding ourselves being? We get forgiven for so much. We do this, let's be honest. We've been forgiven for so many mistakes and then we go out and the first time someone wrongs us, we have our hands around their throat, don't we? We're choking them in the street. probably shouldn't talk about him anymore. I've never mentioned him by name because that's, you know, that'd be tacky, I guess. But there's these clowns, man, that make these videos. I I talked about it last week about how stupid these people are and say all these really derogatory things about the gay community and they knock on people who are liberal and, and just say all these super hateful things, right? And so it's fascinating when Christians take shot at non-believers or take shot at people who are, who are living in sin and, and doing things that are even atrocious, that we don't agree with those things. But what happens is, is we have been forgiven much and we forget that. And so we start looking at other people and we start putting our hands around the proverbial necks, don't we? Look at these stupid people who aren't like me. Look at these people who don't believe like me. Look at these people who've done these wrongs. And instead of praying for them, instead of showing them grace and love and mercy, building a relationship, we find our, our hands around their throats, Right? There's so many of these people doing this in the name of Jesus, and it makes me mad. It makes me mad because it taints the reputation of my loving God. It makes me mad. See, we are called to love others like he has loved us. And this mercilessness of some people who call themselves servants of the king, this anger and this vitriol and this venom that comes out of their mouth, we as fellow servants of the king should look at this and say, It bothers me that their hand is on their throat. It bothers me that we are are putting a a, a weight on non-believers that they can't handle because they don't know Jesus. It should bother us. But there's so many Christians saying, we need justice. We need law. We need order. We need this. And the Bible says in James that mercy triumphs over judgment. That mercy is more valuable to God than the law. That mercy is more valuable because God loves people. He's not for whatever, whatever people do all the time, but he is ultimately for people. And the Christian should not accept everything people do, but we should want to be with people. We should want to love people. We should be pro people. I don't have to be pro your lifestyle to be pro you. I love you. I don't love what you're doing, but I love you. And God loves you. And when we see a lack of grace and a lack of love in people who claim to be servants of the king, that should make us upset. It should be distressing to us to see that. So what did they do? They saw a fellow servant choking someone, right? And it says they went and they reported it to the king. There is so much ugliness in the world right now, in the church and outside of the church, And what are we to do with that ugliness? Post a Facebook thing about it? Maybe we should uh, uh, blog about it. Maybe we should go throw a brick through a window. 
Maybe we should have an uprising. Maybe we should vote someone else in. Maybe we should pass some more laws. That'll fix it. It's not what Jesus tells us to do. Jesus tells us to bring the injustices of the world to the king. Bring them to the king because he's the only one that has the power to fix it. God is protective of humanity and injustice is not going to go unaccounted for. I don't have to go out and take vengeance. The Bible says vengeance is his. He will deal with it, not me. So what's my responsibility? My responsibility is to take injustice to the king. The only fight this book tells you to fight is on your knees in prayer. I got rights. You're serving the wrong kingdom. I, I gotta stop. I gotta stop. People hate that. So does this mean that we're to remain silent during times of injustice? Of course not. I would argue that the greatest leaders that fought against injustice were Christians. The greatest ones who fought against tyranny, right? And evil were believers. In the last century, of course, in our country, Martin Luther King Jr., a pastor, a Christian pastor who would be very upset with a lot of the things that the world is doing right now. A Christian man. Jesus said that his followers must forgive their brothers and sisters. They must genuinely love, listen, even the oppressor. To pray for those that persecute you, to love those that hate you. And we have to do it way down deep in our heart. Let me tell you where change comes from. Change doesn't come from laws. I'm not against law and order, but that doesn't change the hearts of man. That's why Jesus abolished the law, because that's not what changed the hearts of man. It wasn't about electing the right president. It wasn't about having the right economic system. Listen, we can pass all the laws we want. We can elect whoever we want. But until the church goes out and starts to touch the hearts of brothers and sisters, right? Starts to touch the hearts of the lost. And still we start, until we start building one-on-one -on -one relationships and showing grace and mercy and love, you can pass all the laws you want. But if the heart has not changed, we'll just find a way to break the law. You can elect whoever you want. But until the heart has changed, we will not submit to authority. It's got to be an issue of the heart. We got to go way down deep. We keep, we keep dealing with symptoms and ignoring the cancer. It's here. It's here. The last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. Short, sweet, very impactful. Great book of the Bible. At the end of the book of Malachi, there was 400 years, right? It's a long time. 400 years called the silent years. Most of you, if you have a nice study Bible, uh, I think mine even has like a, a kind of a, a history of the silent years, the 400 silent years. What that means is there was 400 years where God did not directly speak to his people. No prophecies, right? No prophets. The silence was broken when Jesus was 30 years old. <laughs> Jesus starts his ministry he goes up on a hillside, and in chapter 5 of Matthew, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, one of the first things that God says, God didn't just speak through a prophet, God came down and spoke directly to his people. And one of the first things God said after 430 years of silence is he looked at his followers and he said, you're the light. You're the instrument, you're the vessel. You're the thing that's going to bring the message 
the truth, liberation, freedom, you're the one that's going to bring that to the world. That's you. That's your responsibility. You're the light. Of course, Jesus says, I'm with you, right? At the very end of Matthew, he says, I'm with you always. But you're the light. And he goes on to say, you're the salt. And without you in the world, listen to this, Christians, if we're not out there, Jesus says, there is no taste. There's nothing tasteful out there without us involved, without us engaged. So one of the first things that God spoke to his people after four and a half centuries of silence is he said, I'm gonna put a lot of responsibility on you, but I'm with you, I'm with you. Here's the thing though. The, the, the light, what we're called to be, cannot be effective if we try to share the same space with darkness. What that means is, is we have to address the sin in us. Do you know what this book is? It's not a book that points out to you how bad everyone else is. It, this, the, the, the point of this book is not to point out the evils of your neighbor. The point of this book is to point out the evils in you and me. Jesus even says in Matthew chapter seven, before you start trying to pull splinters out of everyone else's eye, address that log that's in yours. Because the light cannot effectively work when it's hidden under darkness. So are we addressing that log in our eye? And listen, once we address that, the Bible tells us, yes, we should help our brothers and sisters with their eyes, with their splinters. But in order to be the light, and the reason why Christianity is shrinking in the United States, it's 16% a year. Oh, 2020 is going to be a lot higher than that. The reason why we are shrinking here and the reason why Christianity, guys, the biggest lie that you can tell yourself is that we're one nation under God. That is a complete load of crap. There is no nation on planet earth that puts out music like Cardi B. No one. Look up her new song. Don't do it with your kids around. No nation on earth. Only the nation under God puts out crap like that. Only the one nation under God is divided as we are, set in cities on fire, right? Only the nation under God puts out the filth that we do. One nation under God. Christianity is growing faster in China. It's growing faster in Iraq. It's growing faster in Iran. It's growing faster in Thailand. It's growing faster in virtually every place in the world except for here. One nation under God. That's a lie. It is burying your hand, head in the sand. It is going to your doctor and saying, look, I know there's cancer, but don't tell me. I don't want to address it. If I just, if it's out of sight and out of mind, I don't really have cancer. Listen, we have a cancer in the American church and until we address it and deal with it, it's not going to get any better. There's something wrong because we have let darkness infiltrate the light. Are we addressing sin and are we doing it Jesus's way? Are we protecting biblical theology? The church in the United States is not. We have removed whole books of the Bible and large denominations because it's uncomfortable in our culture. Are we protecting biblical theology? And let me tell you, it is only by strong biblical theology that people can be restored. It is only through doing it God's way that we can be made the light, the salt, that we can mend relationships, restore people back into a relationship with God. It is only through his ways Here's our problem, though. We're blame shifters. 
Well, it's Donald Trump's fault. It was Barack Obama's fault. It'll probably be Joe Biden's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my neighbor's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's everyone else's fault. And we keep talking about how bad the world sucks, but it's everyone else except for me. Let me tell you this, brothers, sisters, because again, when you stand in front of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you're not gonna be able to blame anyone else. You're gonna have to be held into account for what you did. So if the world sucks, if your neighborhood sucks, let me turn it back on you and say, what are you doing about it? Whose life have you impacted? Who are you discipling? Who are you loving? Whose yard are you cutting? Who are you baking cookies for? Who are you reaching out to? What are you doing? You can blame everyone else, but at the end of the day, I wanna ask you, what have you done to make the world a better place to hang out in? What have you done? Have we shown mercy? Have we shown grace? But Corey, they're so lost, and so were you. And so was I. I was a drug addict, man. I tried to kill myself three times. I was scum. I was terrible. But there was a man named Phil that would come to where I worked all the time. He wouldn't cram the Bible down my throat. He wouldn't belittle me. He wouldn't talk down to me. He got to know me. And when I fell on my face, the first person I ran to was Phil. Gave my life to Jesus Christ in his office. It's because he got to know me. He showed me mercy. He showed me grace. He lived the gospel, but he also spoke the gospel. And that's the thing. Well, oh, I don't want to, I don't, you know, I'll live it. That's great. But the Bible says in Hebrews that if you don't speak it, people can't hear it. And the only way for people's lives to be changed is by hearing the gospel. I'm glad you live it, but you need to speak it too. It's part of living it. By the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, right? Revelation. That we need to be living the gospel. We need to be speaking the gospel. Have we forgiven those that have hurt us? I'm so sorry that some of you have been abused, but you got to remedy that hatred in your heart. It separates you from God. I'm sorry that's happened to you, but God can take that away. Sorry that he cheated on you and left. I'm sorry that you've been taken advantage of. I'm sorry for those things, but you got to let it go. There's no room in the Christian's heart for that hatred. There's no room for that. We have to forgive. We have to forgive deep down in our hearts. We have to let it go. They may never ask for your forgiveness. You want to know the most painful things my father ever did to me? He never asked for me to forgive him. I would have let it go so easy, but because he never asked, it took years, and I feel like I've let it go, right? It's hard, though. Have you forgiven those who've wronged you? Do you intentionally seek bridges with those who have strayed from the faith? Not talk bad about them, right? Have you reached out and said, hey man, can we get a cup of coffee? Hey, can we hang out sometime? Man, I love you, dude. Look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna make you feel bad. I just, I just wanna tell you I love you and I'm here for you. Have we built relationships with people that aren't Christians yet? Listen, that's impossible if you're constantly making videos about how stupid everyone is. If you can't even speak kindly to each other, if you're constantly calling gay people fags and queers and everything else, why do you think you could ever win one to the Lord? You think hatred brings people into a relationship with the loving God? Never. Do you speak kindly? Do you love? Do you show grace? Do we genuinely care for other people's well-being? That's what love is, guys, is that we want what's best. 
for person X, right? Regardless of how bad they are, regardless of how far they're strayed, we want them to be saved. We want them to be redeemed. We want them to be restored. That's what love is. It's not allowing them to live in sin. It's not just turning a blind eye so they'll like you. Loving them is genuinely wanting what's best for that individual. Do we genuinely love people? We have a responsibility. Jesus looked at his followers in Matthew chapter 5 and he says, you're the light. And he says, don't hide the light. He goes on to say in Matthew, don't hide the light, he says, because the city needs to see it. Your workplace needs light. Your school needs light. Your family needs light. Your neighbor needs light. And you are the light bearer. You are the one given the keys of the kingdom of heaven by God. Right? You are the one empowered by the Holy Spirit that Jesus poured out after his ascension. A couple of months later, Jesus filled up his followers with his spirit. We are empowered. We should show people the love of God, the grace of God. We should be merciful, right? And we are called to be insulated by the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, not so we can be afraid of the world, but to step into it and to bring some order to it, to bring some peace that passes all understanding, to bring the light, to bring taste back, right? That's what we're called to do. And the only way that we're capable is to be full of God's spirit. I was driving to Franklin the other day. Um, every once in a while, I just got to get out of town. And, 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 um, and, you know, I just want to feel a little bougie. So I drive out to Franklin, you know, <laughs> driving my 2007 RAV4. They probably think I'm going to mug someone or something out there. But <laughs> someone who owns a RAV4 just got real offended. I drive a RAV4. What are you saying? Um, so when I go to Franklin, I always go 90, uh, 96. I just, I just think it's pretty. And I'm cruising down 96 and uh, about halfway to Franklin, maybe like that triune type area. There's a guy walking down 96 and he's got, you've, you've seen people do this before probably. He built a big old cross, right? Put wheels on it. He's walking down 96. Now listen, I'm not making fun of that guy. Man, there's probably been people, you know, maybe there's stories of people seeing that and being, you know, interested and, 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 and maybe that's created conversation. People have come to know Christ from that. I don't know. But he's walking down the road and he's got this thing. And I turned off my radio and I'm driving and I'm just thinking, is that effective? It, you know, that's kind of like the equivalent of, of, of putting a scripture on Facebook or wearing a shirt or whatever the case may be, right? You know, you're walking around, look, look, here's my cross. And so this Friday, a couple of days after my, my Franklin trip, I was there on Wednesday. This Friday, I did, I did Savut and Allison's wedding. They both work here at the church. And uh, eight or nine years ago, Savut was a Buddhist. I don't know if you know Savut's story. His whole family, he, there was no Christians in his family. He's from Cambodia. Savut's not like an English name or anything. It's, it's a Cambodian name. And uh, Savut was a Cambodian kid. Whole family was uh, involved in gang activity. And um, they're Buddhist. Immigrants. Uh, one of our elders here at the church, a man named Scott, middle-aged white guy, successful middle-aged white guy, right? Somehow came into a relationship with this kid, Savut, and just poured into him. He's been pouring into him for like nine years now. And um, even though 
Scott met this kid, Savut. He was a different color. <laughs> he was a different religion. Came from a different part of the world. Struggled with different things than Scott struggled with. And despite all those differences and how far off the track Savut was, Scott said, I'm going to invest in this kid. Started walking with Savut. Savut got saved, gave his life to Jesus Christ. His family kind of sent a relative kind of after him to straighten him up a little bit. That guy's name is Pip. He's been coming to church here for years. He got saved. Both of those guys, Pip and Savut, started getting involved in Young Life here in Rutherford County. Different schools, ministering to hundreds and hundreds of kids over the years. I took an interest in Savut and, and hired him on a couple years ago. He's been working with Eon. He's discipled up, baptized a lot of your kids. Been a phenomenal leader. Hundreds and hundreds of families that were touched by Savut. Now he's taken over Evident, our college ministry. He's doing amazing things there, building all these relationships, touching all these college students' lives. Married a wonderful young woman, Allison. They're, they're in Disney World right now, so they're probably having a lot more fun than we are. Anyways, all this happened, listen, and I'm not trying to belittle this, not because a guy made a public statement walking around with a cross, <laughs> but because someone found someone completely different from them and said, let me show you the light. What would happen? Not if you made another Facebook post, not if you got another tattoo, not if you wore a shirt that said, I'm, I'm a Christian, not if you made a video talking about how bad everyone is, not if you got in a fight on, on Instagram over something. What if you just took someone out for a cup of coffee and started digging into their life? Maybe... They'll get saved. Maybe seven or eight members from their Buddhist family will get saved. <laughs> Maybe they'll start leading a, an amazing middle school ministry and lots of kids will get saved. Families will be touched. Maybe they'll start doing collegiate ministry. Maybe they'll start dating someone that's a good Christ follower and get married and have a healthy relationship there. Maybe a lot of lives will be touched if we will simply go out of our way to disciple somebody that may be a little bit different than us. What would happen if all of us in this room took it upon ourselves to love, show grace, show mercy, take our hands off the throat and talk, right? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Guys, your city needs you. Your work needs you. Your schools need you. MTSU needs you. Do you know in Rutherford County, they did a study years ago, and I'm sure this number is significantly lower now. This was maybe six or seven years ago. It was only 30% of Rutherford County went to any house of worship. 30%. And that includes the Buddhist temple. That includes the Muslim mosque. That includes the Unitarian churches. Only 30%. Did you guys know that only 30% of your county is active in their Christian faith. We think we're like in this Bible belt where everyone's saved, and that is just not true. What'd your teacher think the last time you got a 30 on a test? Was that good? We often think we're winning around here, and we've neglected the cancer. Our city needs you. People around you need you. You are the salt. You are the light. I'm telling you that to encourage you. 
The Holy Spirit of God is with you and will be with you always until he comes back. You can do this. You have to be full of his spirit and you have to have enough guts to step out into the darkness. Father, Lord, I love you. Father, if there's anyone in this room, God, that may not have a relationship with you, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Muhammad is up here. Huh. Pastor Muhammad, a man that used to be an Islamic imam in a mosque, but you relentlessly pursued him, and a man who was once a Muslim pastor is now a Christian pastor. If there's anyone in this room that has any questions, come up here and talk to Muhammad. Father, if there's anyone in this room that needs prayer, Lord, there's men and women on both sides of the stage, Lord. God, give them the courage to come up and find a brother or sister, confess, talk with them, however they need to pray with each other, God. Father, and the last thing is communion, Lord. We're given communion every weekend in here. Jesus, that communion represents how much you love us, how much grace you've shown us, that as Paul said, even while we were sinners, God, you died for us. Even while we were lost and stranded, you died for us. Lord, let us remember your body and your blood as we take communion. Lord, let us repent for our sins. And Lord, as you have shown us the grace and love of the cross, Lord, let us show grace and love to those around us. Salt and light, salt and light. Father, we love you. We thank you. Keep your hand on my friends in this room, everyone watching at home. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you guys.